So if you have your Bible's electronic devices, uh, you can either click to, turn to, Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 8, or the, 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 the scriptures are going to come up on the side screens uh, as I read them. And so today we, we, we start off a brand new series. And in, in some sense, I'm introducing you to the book of Acts. I'm introducing you to the guy who wrote this, uh, and his name is Luke. And so one of the reasons that I, that I've, I've, I, I want to look at, at, at the book of Acts or, 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 or the first church, this series, is, is to understand the principles and, and, and the priorities that the early church had. Um, the book of Luke, simply the theme is, is the church will continue what Jesus has started. In other words, the church is to continue what, what Jesus has started. And, and some of the dangers of, of Christianity is that the Christian faith can be around, has been around so long that it's easy for to us for for us to forget how it started out. I mean, how it birthed the principles and, the, and the, the, the priorities that the early church had. And so when you look at the early church, you realize that it was, just, it was, it was started with, with a handful of men and a handful of women in an upper room, and they were praying, praying. They were waiting for the coming of the Holy Spirit. And then the Spirit, the, the church was birthed. And so God started the church the way, the way he wanted it, and he wants the church the way he started it. And so there's something very important about that. There's something very important from time to time us just stop and say, is this thing that we call the church, is this the priorities that they had at the first church? Is this the priorities and the, and the principles that they used in, in the first church? Because when you, when you look at the first, two, uh, the first two centuries and you look at the churches in the first two, two centuries, you realize what attracted people to those churches wasn't celebrity pastors, wasn't pastors that were polished and slick and had a bunch of you know, Twitter followers and Facebook followers and podcasts and all of those other things. It wasn't celebrity pastors. It wasn't even a celebrity worship team that looked like American Idol and, and it was performance driven and, and it was per perfect and polished and they could do CDs and all those other things. It wasn't even that. You know what made the local church attractional? What made the local church attractional is the people that attended. Their lives had been changed. And, and their lives had been changed to such a degree that they, never, they no longer lived their lives like they once did. Everybody could see something happen to them. Everybody could see that their life had been transformed. And so the way they talked about others was totally different. Fact is, the, 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 the world would look into the local church and, and they would see that the local church loved one another and prayed for one another and cared for one another and served one another. And there was, there was like no racism and there's no, no, none of those hurtful things in the society. And they forgave one another and they, they had this deep relationship. And then it changed the way they, they handled their businesses. It changed the way they handled their careers. It changed the way they handled their families. And so all of a sudden it became attractional that the world wanted that. And so in 30 short years, that's that this group of people that planted this church, it like it like changed the world. In other words, the church is not a person, the church is us. And the church is us together. And so for the next 10 weeks, we're just simply going to look at, at the first four chapters of, of, of the book of Acts. And we're going to go verse by verse, and we're going to go word by word, and we're going to look at the principles that they had. We're going to look at the principles of the first church. And Fellowship of the Rockies began in 1995, and so we've been on a journey together. And then in June, if you were here then, in June, God gave me a verse out of Revelation. I'll read that verse. Here's, here's what it says, and this is what launched me into this series. Uh, Revelation chapter 2, verse 4 said, But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. <clears throat> Remember, he's writing this to a church. Remember, therefore, where you have fallen. 
Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. In other words, I read that verse, and it's like God spoke to me and said, said, what were the principles Fellowship the Rockies did at first? What were the principles that you had? What were the priorities? And are you still living those priorities out? Are you still living those principles out? Or has Fellowship the Rockies over the last 20-something years drifted from the things that made Fellowship the Rockies special? It made Fellowship the Rockies the church that it is. And then, and then when I was praying about 2019 and, and launching a new series, I was thinking about that. And then God, is like God spoke into my life, and, and he just simply said, well, maybe you should go back to the first church. Maybe you should just simply go back to the first church and see how the church was birthed, how the church was formed, see their principles and, and, and their priorities, and then maybe you should go all the way back there because here's the deal. The, the, gospel, the gospel is what unites us. It's not styles of worship. It's not, it's not sermon. It's not, it's not styles of worship. It's not service times. It's not denominations that unite us. What should unite us is the gospel, and it's about the gospel, and so it's, it's interesting to me, and we're just going to have to talk about this subject as we walk through but it's interesting to me that, that God gave the local church the Holy Spirit to unite us. Amen. And so many times I find that's the very thing that divides us. God gave us the Holy Spirit to, to bring unity. But many times it's the very thing that divides us. You know the reason why there's so many denominations? The view of the Holy Spirit. Just this view of the Holy Spirit. And yet the scripture says that he gave the Holy Spirit to us to bring, to bring unity, to bring an understanding. Now listen, I, I don't know your spiritual background. I can tell you a little bit about mine real quickly. And it, it helped form my early days of my view of the Holy Spirit. See, I, I came to faith in Christ uh, through a local church in Houston, Texas. And, and I don't know why. They just never talked about the Holy Spirit. I don't know why. We never taught about the Holy Spirit. We never, never, never. They, ne they, they didn't even talk like he existed. He was in our confession of faith. We believed in the Holy Spirit, but we just didn't, we didn't ever talk about the Holy Spirit. So in me, that was, that was one extreme, and I'm going to explain to you two different streams, and then we're going to try to find the, the biblical stream, okay? And so there's two, dis di two distinct streams of view of the Holy Spirit. One is, is he's like that, that absent uncle. In other words, he's still in the family. Uh, he used to come to family reunions, and when he came to family reunions back in the day, he was awesome. I mean, when he came to family reunions, he brought people presents, stuff happened, it was fun, he was fun, and so, but for whatever reason, he doesn't show up at family reunions anymore. And everybody still remembers when he did, and then, then people would say, well, this, that was then, this is now, and the same thing's happening with some churches. When they look at the Holy Spirit and they look at the book of Acts, they tend to say, that was then, this is now, he doesn't do the things that he once did then, so that was then, this is now, and he's almost like this absent uncle. And then you, you, have, a, you have another stream over here, and, and, and the Holy Spirit to them is kind of like Cousin Eddie. That's a vacation reference, okay, for all of you younger I found out we had some kids in our church last night. They, they're like, what? Cousin Eddie? And so, you know, anyway, that when Cousin Eddie shows up to the family reunion, you know what happens? It gets awkward. It gets awkward quick, right? When Cousin Eddie shows up to the family reunion, it gets emotional. It gets awkward. 
it gets crazy. And so you have these, you have these two streams. Like, like some people think when the Holy Spirit shows up, it is going to get weird. No, you were weird before the Holy Spirit. Don't blame, do not blame your weirdness on the Holy Spirit. Listen, let me tell you something. The Holy Spirit is not weird. The Holy Spirit is not, he's third person of the Trinity. And so I think a lot of times what has happened to some streams, to some, some groups is this, is because some people view the Holy Spirit kind of like Cousin Eddie, that things are going to get weird. And so they don't want to get weird. They don't want things to get crazy. So they go over here, all the way over here to this extreme and say, well, that was then. This is now. God doesn't move like that anymore. God doesn't, God doesn't behave in that manner. And so they don't teach about him because they're worried that it will end to weirdness. And so I want to help you understand. Listen, today is just an introduction into the book. And because you, you've got to understand some things. You've got to understand some players in this for us to journey the next 10 weeks verse by verse and sometimes word by word. So Acts chapter 1, verse, verse 1, I'm going to read all the way through eight verses and we're going to back through them, okay? In the first book. And so, so Luke is the author, and Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke, and then, then kind of a continuation, he, he wrote Acts, or Acts of the Apostle. Uh, in the first book, O Theophilus, <coughs> I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, until he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented him alive to them after suffering by many proofs, appearing to them 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, whom he said, you have heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you'll baptize with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him. So now the disciples, he's, he's, this is the account. And so the disciples pushed back and they had a question for Jesus. And they said, Lord, will, will you at this time restore the kingdom of, of Israel? And we just stop right there. See, they, you know what they thought? They thought it was by political power. We're, we're going to overthrow the Romans. We're going to vote all the Romans out of office. Can I tell you this? It was a temptation for them in their day, and it's still a temptation for many churches in our day. There's this desire for some pastors, this desire for some churches that they think the way we're going to change America is through political power. And it never ends well. It never ends well for the church, and it never, because God, God did not give us political power. He gave us something far greater. He gave us something far greater. So the scripture teaches us about this issue. He teaches us about this issue. And so he goes on and he said, so when they came, had come together, they asked him, Lord, would you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times and seasons, but the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power, not political power. Because listen, when you study the early church, they had none. They, they were insignificant, unschooled, uneducated people. They had no political power. And yes, they changed the political landscape of the Roman Empire just because of this issue, because of these principles they had in place. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And so today, just three things as we enter in and we understand this book. The first thing is, is you've got to understand the purpose. Whenever you study a book in the Bible, the first thing you've got to understand is just the purpose. Why was it written to? Who was it written to? What is the purpose of this book? And so Luke is writing this book. It's a letter. 
And he's writing this book. He's writing this letter to Theophilus. Now, when you study from Josephus or some of the extra-biblical uh, historians and information of their day, Josephus was, was, was probably either a skeptic of Christianity, that he hadn't come to Christ yet, he hadn't become a Christ follower, or he was a new Christian. And so, so Luke is writing to Theophilus to, to help him. And so Jesus had already died. His, his body had been placed in the grave. He had risen from the grave. And so Luke is writing this letter. And so verse 1, he says in this first book, O Theophilus, I've dealt with all Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he'd given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had, he had, he had chosen. And so Luke tells us that the focus of the book of Acts is to document all the things that Jesus did and all the things that Jesus taught. And the themes of the book of Acts is simply this, what Jesus started, that the churches continue. Now, this, this guy, Luke, Luke was an interesting guy. He, was, he most likely never met Jesus. There's no accounts of him ever meeting Jesus. He wasn't an eyewitness to the life of Christ. He wasn't an eyewitness to his death, his burial, his, his resurrection. And so, so by all accounts, G, uh, Luke probably didn't see uh, uh, any of that. Luke is only mentioned about three times in the New Testament, yet God used him to write huge chunks of the, of the New Testament. And so when you, when you look at Luke, and it's important for us to, to understand, when you look at Luke, Luke wasn't an apostle, Luke wasn't a minister, Luke wasn't a pastor, Luke was, we may put it like this, Luke was, Luke was a church member. In other words, it's important for us to understand because <coughs> we have got to get over this fact that a call on someone's life is only reserved for the professional ministers. A call on someone's life is only reserved for pastors. It's only reserved for professional ministers. Because when you look, listen, when you look at the book of Acts, you realize God used ordinary people. God used ordinary people to do extraordinary things through the power of the Holy Spirit. In fact, is one of the greatest church planting movements in the book of Acts is, is, is Antioch. You know who that was started by? We don't know. They just referred to them as the brothers. I mean, they're just the brothers. In Scripture, they're just the brothers. Didn't even document their names. They're just ordinary people that do extraordinary things. I mean, Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 4, verse 19. He said, and he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Listen, whether you realized it or not, when you became a follower of Christ, when you, when you accepted Christ, you are making a commitment to leverage your life for the kingdom of God, to leverage your life for the gospel to leverage your influence, to leverage everything that God has given you, your time, your talent, your treasures, the influence that he has given you, to leverage your, 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 your friends and your relationships, to help them understand who is Christ, to help them understand Christianity. I mean, when you look at Acts, it's full, listen, it is full of ordinary people who do extraordinary things. Luke was no different. I mean, Luke, Colossians 4.4 tells us Luke was a physician. Um, most people believed that Luke uh, practiced medicine uh, so that he could afford to do ministry, that the only reason he had a secular job or the only reason he worked in the marketplace is he would treat people and, and charge them, and then he would use that to fund his ministry. Uh, he went to, most likely, he went to the University of Egypt in Alexandria. Uh, he wrote about the the early beginnings of the church. And so as a result of that and being a, a medical doctor that was detail-oriented and facts and, and kind of black and white, he would interview eyewitness accounts of, of the life of Jesus, people who had an eyewitness account. He, he, he interviewed friends. He interviewed multiple people that had encounters with Christ. He became a close friend of the Apostle Paul. He became 
the Apostle Paul's private physician. And so he traveled with him on many missionary journeys, and he would, he would take care of him medically. And then, then he witnessed uh, the birth of the church, some of the sermons that Paul preached, some of the church planting movements. Uh, Luke was never considered an apostle. He was, he was a brilliant historian that God used in the early days. Luke was a church member. The church is not one of us. The church is all of us. What made the local church attractional was the people who went there. And people could see that their lives were different, their lives had been changed. fact is, a, a little bit more about Luke. Luke was never married. He never fathered any children. The Scripture says that he died at the age of 84, uh, full of the Holy Spirit. You know, that's one of my prayers. That, that that's how I would die, that I would still be full of the Holy Spirit when I die. Fact is, in, in our ordination, in my ordination council meeting, I had to ask a bunch of questions before they ordained me. One of the questions they ask is, what are your goals for your ministry? And mine were just very simple because I'm a, I'm a simple person, right? And I'm, I try to make things very simple. And so mine were just really simple. I said, you know what, when I die, I just want to still be in love with God. I want to be in love with my wife, and I want to be in love with the local church. That's it. It had nothing to do with church size. It had nothing to do with church movement. I said, you know what, I, I just want to be faithful. I just want to be faithful to him because so many people I know, especially pastors, that they end up bitter and angry and cynical. And I just want to live a life in such a way just full of the Holy Spirit. See, Luke was this man that was totally in love with Jesus. And as a result of that, as his faith in Jesus, he, he, he was martyred for his, for his, for his Christianity, and, and he, he gave his life for Christianity. The second thing is, is just the proof. There, there's a purpose, and there's also the proof. Verse 3, the Scripture says, He presented himself, speaking of Jesus, He presented him alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Remember, Jesus continually told the disciples, He continually told people, that one day I'm going to die, and on the third day I'm going to be resurrected, and I'm, gonna, and I'm, and I'm coming back. But, but, his, but the disciples, I mean, His disciples, they... They, they, couldn't, they couldn't find traction in this. The disciples were confused by that. That's why he said he presented himself alive to them after suffering by many proofs. In other words, he showed up and he appeared to them. Uh, he hung out with them. He ate breakfast with them. <coughs> he talked to people. I mean, when, when Doubting Thomas doubted, remember when Doubting Thomas doubted and needed more information? Jesus simply showed him his scars from the crucifixion, uh, that he wasn't in the tomb anymore, that, that he was alive, that the tomb is empty. I mean, time after time, Jesus appeared to people. John chapter 20, he appeared to Mary Magdalene. Matthew chapter 28, he shows himself to a group of women. Luke chapter 24, he showed up and in, in, in to two men on, on the road to Emmaus. And, and, and you find that he, he appeared to Simon Peter, and he showed up to the 10 apostles. In 1 Corinthians 15, he shows up to the 11 apostles. And then, then at one time, 500 people at the same time. Mark chapter 17 or 16, he shows up to seven apostles by the sea of galilee and he, he appeared to his 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 half-brother uh james and the reason is is because because he was he was helping people understand that that i am alive that i have done what i said i was going to do and listen this this is what separates christianity out from every other religion in the world this is the gospel and you can go to the holy land today and you can see the actual tomb of jesus you can go in that tomb 
You can see where they laid his head. You can see where they laid his feet. And you can, you can find that it is totally and completely empty. He did exactly what he said he was going to do. This is, what, this is what separates Christianity from every other religion in the world, this fact. This is why the gospel is so important. This is why it's what the gospel is what unites us. It is not service times. It is not worship styles. It is not denominations. It is the gospel that unites us. And, and God gave us the Holy Spirit to unite us. First four, the scripture goes on and he says, and while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem. Jesus talking to him, but wait for the promise of the father, which he said, you have heard from me for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Not many days from now. So Luke, Luke gives us, he gives us facts. He gives us facts about what Jesus began to do and teach. He gives us facts about the life of Christ. And then all of a sudden he starts talking about future and he starts talking about, about the power. And listen, this had to be an emotional time for the disciples. Remember, the disciples had walked with Jesus for like a little bit over three years. And they, and, and they, had, they had seen him die and in the tomb and, and, and the resurrection. And then, then all of a sudden he starts showing up to them and saying, I'm alive. And, and he tells them, I'm about ready to leave. But don't forget, I, I've already told you this. I'm going to leave, but I'm going to send a helper for you. And, and God is, says, and God's, is saying that I'm going to send you power. In, in the name of the Holy Spirit. And so he's already talked to, about this power. He talked to him about it in John chapter 14. He said this. Jesus was preparing his disciples. He said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. That word helper is capitalized. That's just another way of saying the Holy Spirit. To be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and, you and will be in you. So he reminds them of this conversation. And he reminds them in Acts and he tells them that I told you that there was going to be a day when I was going to go away and I was going to send you this helper. And I want you to know that today is your day. The Holy Spirit is going to, is going to be your guide. The Holy Spirit is going to lead you and guide you. The paraclete is going to come alongside of you. And he's saying, don't move and, and wait. Don't do anything. Until the Holy Spirit comes. Don't, don't try to do anything out of program or strategies. Or, or you just, you just, you wait. Acts verse one, or chapter 1 verse 6. And so he said, so that when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, at this time, will you restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the time or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So the disciples, they're still confused about the mission of the church. They didn't, they didn't know what it meant to receive power. They, I mean, they didn't, they didn't have the book of Acts. They couldn't, like, flip the page. They couldn't, like, turn the page. They couldn't, like, read ahead. I mean, they're living it. And when he talks about, when he talked about power, they're thinking political power. But Jesus is trying to help them understand, I'm, I'm going to give you something something greater than that. I mean, I mean, the disciples, the disciples are, are overwhelmed. Have you ever been overwhelmed? Has someone ever told you something? It's like your brain just shut down. Uh, people that study the brain, neuroscientists or neurologists will tell you that <coughs> whenever we're given bad news, uh, whenever we're giving earth shattering news, that, that our brains literally will just shut down and they says they don't know why it is, but for like 20 minutes, it's hard for the mind to comprehend. It's hard for the mind to make sense of something. It can become with, with some, you know, there's going to be a layoff or you're going to get laid off or there can come with a death or there can come with a terminal illness or some of those things. And then all of a sudden your mind just shuts down. It's happened to me once that I know of. 
uh, Karen and I, we, we took a vacation with another couple in our church, and we were going to Alaska. And so we, we flew into to Canada. And so after we got off the plane, we had to present our passports and go through, you know, clear passports. And so our friends were ahead of us. And so they went, presented their passports. And, I mean, they, they breezed right through. They just, they just went right through. And so we come up. Uh, present my passport and all of a sudden this lady that looked at my passport and looked at the name and something came up on her computer and all of a sudden she could get I could tell she got nervous and she's looking at my passport and looking at me and looking at my passport and I'm like excuse me I know it's a bad picture it's a bad day and she and she's looking at me and she, and she doesn't even laugh she doesn't even say anything and then she reached down and pushes a button and I'm like, oh I wonder what that's about and then all of a sudden there's like two guys on each side of me uh, with, with like big guns and so they're, they're in uniform and they're on each side of me and she said sir I'm not even allowed to return your passport to you you and your wife are going to need to go with these guys and hands one of the guards my passport and so we go into the in- interrogation room I don't know if you've ever been there I would not recommend it uh, it is I mean it's scary I mean, I mean everything's going through my mind I've seen those movies where the innocent guy goes to jail and it doesn't end well for him and so, so I didn't want that story in my life and so I'm nervous and so I got and so we're in this uncomfortable room there's no chairs there's no tables uh, it's a small room uh, on one of the walls there's a one way glass so you could tell people were watching on the other side and so it's just awkward we're standing there all of a sudden in comes in the detective guy and so the detective guy comes in, and, and they're trained, you know, they're trained to make you nervous and to scare you really bad and get information out of you. And so he has this big file of paperwork, and he's coming in and said, are you, are you Charles Jones? And I'm like, I don't know. And so he goes, <laughs> so he goes, what's your full name? I says, I don't know. I said, uh, you know, some people call me Charlie. And, and so he says, what's your middle name? And I'm looking at Karen and says, I I don't know. And Karen's like, seriously, you don't know? We got, we got a vacation to go on. Do not mess this up. And she's thinking, I'm messing with them. And she's like, I'm like, no. And he goes, where were you born? I go, I don't know. He goes, you don't know where you were born? I go, no, I don't know. I just don't. I live in Colorado now, if that helps. But I think it was Texas. And Karen's like, oh, my word, Charlie. And I'm like, he goes, do you know, what's your birth date? We'll start out with something easy. I said, I, I don't know. I know we celebrate every year. Uh, I don't, I don't even know. And he says, so you don't know your full name? You don't know where, where you're going to? I, I, just, I just really don't know. I just want out of here. And so, so I, said, I said, is it okay if my wife answers these questions? And so he said, sure. And so he looks at her, and so she answered the questions. And then all of a sudden, this guy, he started dying laughing. He says, we knew it wasn't you because the description doesn't match, but your names match. Just legally, I had to question you. I'm like, really? And he's like, yeah, and then it got to be a lot of fun, and I couldn't stop. And I'm like, yeah. And so now we still we took a selfie with a guy. We got all the guards around. We're taking a selfie, and I'm like, praise God, not going to jail. And so I don't think I'd fare well. And so, uh, and so, but have you ever, this is the disciples. The disciples are melting down. Jesus is like telling them. See, they think it's going to be by political power. They think it's going to be like they're going to have influence in, in political. And he says, no, I'm going to give you something far greater than political power. Listen, I'm telling you, if the church, if you depend on man, you will get men's results. And can I tell you, that's what a burden that I have for the local church right now. There's a lot of churches and there are pastors right now that think the way they're going to win America is through political power. 
And it will always cause them to compromise. It will always cause them to try to twist Scripture to support their guy. And it never ends well. Listen, we have power. We have, we have a power far greater than political power. And this is what, see, this is what Jesus is trying to help the church understand. This is what Jesus is trying to help us understand. The last thing is that power. The last thing is understanding that power. Because Jesus goes on and he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea, Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now listen, that phrase, you will receive power in the Greek, is a future indicative verb. That simply means it is going to happen. It's not a possibility. There's not a chance. I mean, you could really re- render that this way. You will most definitely have power. You will most definitely be able to live life differently. You will most definitely have power to change. Listen, let me tell you something. The Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is alive. He's the third part of the Trinity. He is here. He is powerful. The person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, listen, let me tell you something, is not an it. If you feel like the Holy Spirit is an it, you feel like the Holy Spirit is an emotion, you feel like the Holy Spirit is a feeling, then you will always need more of that thing. You will always need more of that emotion. You will always need more of that feeling. You will always need more of that weirdness. But when you understand that the Holy Spirit is not a thing, the Holy Spirit is not an it, the Holy Spirit is not an emotion, then when you understand that and you understand who the Holy Spirit is, it is no longer about getting more of it. It is about the Holy Spirit getting more of us. Of us understanding having Him having more control of our life because He offers us, listen, I'm telling you, He offers us so much power that is available to us. 1 John 4, 4 says, little children, you are from God and you have overcome them. He who is in you, who is in you? When you're a believer, the Holy Spirit. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. In other words, you have a power available to you that is greater than any other power that you can imagine. And God has called us to continue what he gave us, uh, he can, the, the, the local church. And the reason that he told the, the, the disciples to wait until, you, until this power, the Holy Spirit, comes, is simply telling them, you cannot do what I've called you to do apart from the Holy Spirit. And you and I, listen, you and I cannot live the life, and you and I cannot accomplish what God has called us to accomplish without the power of the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus then tells the disciples, because Matthew, uh, John chapter 14, all the way through John chapter 16, Jesus is trying to prepare them for this moment. Jesus is trying to help them understand that, guys, one day you're going to continue what I started. And that's the mission of the local church. That's, and so he, he tells them in John chapter 16, verse 7, he says, nevertheless, remember this, Jesus is talking to the disciples. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, that's capitalized, so that's another form, another way of saying the Holy Spirit, will come to you. But if I go, I will... But if I will... But if I go, I will send him to you. Now, just leave that up there for a second. Just stop right there. So Jesus makes a statement, and he says, I, I tell you the truth. Was Jesus in the habit of lying? 
Was Jesus in the habit of saying, messing with them and say, hey, guys, I was messing with you up until this point. I've been goofing with you guys until this point. And so now, guys, let's get serious. No more practical jokes, right? I'm going to talk to you seriously. No. That phrase in, in, the, in, in the ESV, in the New Testament, I tell you the truth, King James, very, verily, verily, I say to you, whenever you saw Jesus use that phrase in the Greek, I, I, I tell you the truth, here's what Jesus was saying. What I'm about ready to tell you is really important. Don't miss what I'm about ready to tell you. Guys, what I'm about ready to tell you, you're going to have a tendency to miss. Don't miss this. It's like a teacher telling you, guys, I'm going to tell you something, and this is going to be on the test. Right? You always have that person raise their hand. Hey, is this on the test? Yes, it's on the test. You got to remember this. So Jesus was trying, when he said, I tell you the truth, what he was saying is, guys, what comes next? What comes next is so important, and you're going to have a tendency to miss this. And then he, then he uses that phrase, and then he says, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. So stop right there. Can you imagine the disciples that had lived with Jesus a little bit over three years? They'd seen the miracles. They'd, they'd had conversations, had intimate conversations with him. He'd answered questions for, for them. And now he's telling them he's going to go away. But, oh, by the way, it's to your advantage that I go. Don't put yourself over the story. Put yourself in the story. Can you imagine what it would be like for you? You've had Jesus hanging out with you for the last three years. You had a tough day at the office. And you get in the car and you and Jesus are riding home and you say, hey, Jesus, here's my fear, here's my concern. And all of a sudden he speaks into your fear and he's, he, he answers every question you ever have. You have a tough day with your family. Jesus, I don't, I don't even know what I should do. I don't even know how to handle this. And Jesus just turns and looks at you and tells you exactly how you should handle this. You go to life group. And someone asks a theological question, nobody in the room knew the answer. You excuse yourself and go in the other room and, hey, Jesus, here's the question. And Jesus first answers it in a parable, and you say, that means nothing to me. And he says, okay, I'll explain it to you. <laughs> you go back into your life group and you say, hey, here's the answer. And it's like, that's amazing. You run out of snacks at your life group, <laughs> Right? No more Chex Mix, no more goldfish. All of a sudden, Jesus comes in, lays hands on it, and bam, you have enough snacks for everybody. Your dog dies. Jesus lays your hand on the dog. Bam, your dog comes back to life. Your cat dies. He just gets a shovel and starts digging a hole. <laughs> Is that too far? I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm sure it didn't go like that, but you know, you know what I'm saying, right? Jesus is trying to help. Listen, I'm telling you, Jesus, put yourself in the disciples' shoes. They've had Jesus for three years, and Jesus is telling them, it's to your advantage that I go because I'm going to send a helper, the Holy Spirit, and you're going to receive power 
And you're going to be able to do everything that I've called you to do. You're going to have access to just the power of God so that you can change your life and so you can spread the gospel and you can advance the kingdom. Here's here's what's interesting about the disciples. After Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, before the Holy Spirit came, without the Holy Spirit, the disciples simply went back to their jobs. They were in hiding. They gave up. They thought it was impossible. They were living in fear, no boldness. And then at Pentecost, when they understood the power of the Holy Spirit, nothing could stop them because of the power of God in their life. And we, we weren't designed to live in this world, right? We're not of this world. We're actually, when you're a believer, you're of, a, you're of, of the kingdom of God. You're of heaven. So we're not of this world. This is a fallen world. And a lot of times we don't understand this. Well, listen, this is not our home. We're just passing through. And so as Christians, we're trying to live in two worlds at the same time. I don't know if you've ever done that. Uh, we, like, we, we, we like to snorkel. And uh, one of the things about snorkeling is this, is you're trying to exist in a world underwater that you were not designed to live, that you, you cannot function. But the only way that you can function in that world is with a snorkel. And you can put a snorkel in your mouth, and you can breathe, and you can float for hours underwater because you're connected to a source. You're connected to what we need. It's the Holy Spirit that connects us to heaven, that connects us to him. I feel like sometimes so many Christians... They're trying to live underwater without a snorkel. And so they live their life Monday through Saturday just holding their breath, just trying to get into a weekend service. And they get into that weekend service and they take a deep gulp and they take a deep breath and they're hoping it to get them through the next week. And I'm here to tell you, you do not have to live like that. I am here to tell you that you can live life Monday through Saturday, seven days a week, connected to a source that gives you power, that gives you breath, that gives you purpose, and that gives you meaning. The book of Acts is about the acts of the apostle and the birth of the local church. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes?